Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. Hi, this is my first time on a Saturday, so it's nice to meet you all. <laughs> um, my name is James. I've been uh, coming along to the Bay for 18 months or so, having moved to the coast last year, really enjoying um, kind of like being out this way and being a part of this fellowship. And so, yeah, thank you very much for having us to, to talk. Well, you can decide whether it's a good idea afterwards. Um, but I just wanted to start uh, with, with this verse. It's David's declaration from uh, Psalm 27, verse 13. He says, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And a few weeks ago, um, just during worship, I was at the front here. I was um, you know, participating, meditating, and reflecting on some things that, um, some challenging things that uh, I've been going through and, and other people in the church have been going through, and just sort of um, engaging with God, just reflecting on what He was doing. And I felt that in that moment, He said that He wanted to give us, as a church, uh, a heavenly perspective on his goodness, on what it means to encounter his goodness. And, you know, that really hit me, and it stayed with me. So when Paul asked me to talk, um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to expand on that, to, to know what it is to have a heavenly perspective on his goodness. And if that's the only thing you take away, then uh, that's kind of what I want to get at um, this evening. So strictly speaking, I was asked to talk on love. But I think these two are interwoven. This is my, this is my blag in it. Um, uh, as we encounter God's goodness, we encounter his love. Like, goodness is an expression of love. It's a manifestation, isn't it? Like, if there's someone who you love, whether it's a family member or a friend, you want good things for them, don't you? You want life to go well. You want them to encounter uh, things that are positive and life-giving um, and ennobling. Yet, of course, we all encounter lots of situations, circumstances uh, that seem full of darkness, that seem without hope, uh, that seem broken, and it might be that that's a result of uh, just the tragedy of life. You know, we encounter things that uh, have no, uh, no seeming meaning, but it's, it's tragic. Um, it might be that the situation is exacerbated by our own shortcomings. We all get things wrong. Um, or sometimes simply we just, we encounter people who have uh, a malice in the hearts. You know, we encounter situations where someone's getting at you, attacking you, and, and there's no seeming reason there. But... Um, you know, and so my feeling as I was reflecting was, you know, how does that relate to our understanding of God's love? You know, and that's a big question. Um, it's not something that I can cover today, but I just wanted to touch on a few thoughts. I think just to start off with, there is a, um, you know, fundamental truth that all suffering, all struggle, all evil, all that's wrong uh, with the world and that falls short of God's glory, it's going to be surpassed by a greater weight of glory, by a greater experience of our encounter with him in glory. Like we are destined for something really good. You know, in uh, Romans 8, Paul says that, doesn't he? He says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. You know, so in his love, he's made a promise to us, to each one of us, to restore, to make new, uh, to an ultimate extent. And I think that's partly what David's claiming in this psalm, uh, when he says that he'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's a sense that the land of the living 
is that land where we're going to encounter God, where there is uh, fullness of life. You know, we're destined for renewal. Um, but I do believe that David's also claiming in that verse that we can encounter God's goodness from within the struggles uh, that we're engaged in. That it's a present reality as well. And I think there are two, there are two parts of that that, that really struck me. Um, so the first was on a personal level, that in his love, God is active. Uh, we're not abandoned. We've not been left alone. God's not passive. Uh, he's right there. He's active. You know, again, so it, later on in Romans 8, Paul says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who've been called according to his purpose. You know, so, so often it's through uh, challenge, through difficult things that we're matured, that we're strengthened as people. And actually, to the extent that uh, in First James, James is able to claim that, look, we can even consider it a joy to face trials of many kinds. You just think that, to, to me, when I actually think about it, you know when you read the Bible sometimes, you're like, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. When you really think about it, to consider it joy, that's an outrageous claim. That's an outrageous expectation. Not just that we consider that we can just get through, but that we consider it a joy. And that's what God has for us. And, you know, he has this amazingly high aspiration of who we are and who we can be. You know, he doesn't want us to just be good people, getting by, not causing a fuss. But he is shaping us in the image of Jesus. His anticipation for each one of us is that we are being shaped and that we are like Jesus. Um, I think part of having this heavenly perspective on what, on what God is doing, on what is good, is, is about thinking and considering where do we currently look? What do we have in mind when we try and define good? It might be a conscious thing or it might be unconscious. But if you're going through life and you encounter a, a circumstance, a situation, and you think, this isn't, this isn't good, this isn't right, what is it that we're defining that by? You know, is it that we're looking to, to culture or uh, to media and, and films to sort of define this is what a good life might be? Um, or social media? Um, there's lots of good life out in social media where everyone sort of puts up a, a face of sorts. Um, and so I really feel like having, having that heavenly perspective, having God's perspective, is not a denial of difficulties, but it's about lifting our eyes up above those struggles. It's engaging with that deeper truth that he's doing something good and that it is going to work out for good. Um, and that in that time of challenge, whether we we understand it or not, that we can engage with him, that we can encounter him uh, in a deeper way. So that's a personal thing, that God is working for our good. Uh, he loves us, and the things that we're in, they're going to be surpassed. We're going to experience something better. But I think there's something broader as well. I think what God is also doing in challenge is, is looking to extend his goodness out beyond ourselves. Um, to other people. And so as we change to be more like Jesus, as we, um, as we mature, as we uh, are strengthened, then there's opportunity, there's space opened up for other people to encounter God's love. And again, so going back to Romans 8, Paul just says, 
um, you know, that creation is waiting for our, our revelation, the revelation of God's children, you know, to, uh, you know, those who, what do you mean by his children? Those who have been fashioned in his likeness. You know, creation is waiting for uh, us to be uh, who he's called us to be. Um, and in that, in that space, there's a, a space opened up for people to encounter God himself. Um, so if we look at some biblical examples, for example, uh, take Joseph. You know, he's, he's in prison. It's not a good place to be. He's there on false charges. Um, it's, not, you know, it's not his fault that he's there. There doesn't seem to be a way out. But out of that situation, God elevates him to this place of authority where he's not only able to save himself, He's not only able to save his own nation uh, and his own family, but he's able to save a nation of unbelievers, that people who don't know God encounter uh, God's salvation through, uh, through Joseph being uh, lifted up. And just look to Jesus. You know, on the, on the surface of it, you say, he went through a rigged trial. He encountered and went through a, a brutal execution. How is that good? You know, but wow, what an expression of God's love. And what a victory. You know, a victory not just, a victory for everyone. Not just for everyone, but for the cosmos, uh, as Alex was alluding to earlier. You know, a complete victory. It's like, that is, that is an expression of God's love, God's goodness. And so, thinking about that word, having, having a heavenly perspective on God's goodness, how do we respond to that? What, what, do we, what do we do? Again, two things, lots of, two points. Um, I think that the first thing that I felt God was saying is that he's calling us to ask, he's calling us to engage, and that out of relationship, he wants to have a, a conversation with us. He wants to um, let us into his perspective. You know, he's, he's opening up for us. Um, he wants to speak to us about his purposes. He wants to speak to us about what he has planned. Um, and I think, again, it's, you know, it's one thing, I suppose, knowing the truth of these, these verses that we're touching on, knowing that God's good. You know, I know he's good. I know it's going to work out well. I know that something good is going to come out of it. I know that people will be blessed. But it's by coming into encounter with God and spending time with him and communicating with him that that knowledge becomes, you know, a heart reality, it, because it looks different for everyone, doesn't it? It's, you know, what God's goodness to me is going to be different to God's goodness to you. What he's doing in my life at certain moments is going to be very different to what he's doing in your life. And so it's only really by sitting down with God and saying, look, what's going on? What are you doing? Um, what is your goodness at this moment that he can open up our hearts and our minds to that? I think there have been times in my life when I've gone through that, when I've gone through those challenges. Um, and coming out the back, there have been moments where um, God has opened up a revelation of what he has done. So I remember when I, uh, when I first got married, I've been married five years to my wife Jenny, or coming up to six really. Um, you know, we had that honeymoon period on the honeymoon for a week. And then we got home, and all hell broke loose, and it was, it was really crazy. Um, we really struggled for 18 months in our marriage because 
of uh, our personalities clashing and our characters being different and God really needing to work on stuff. It was really hard and there were times, there were times when I really struggled and we both really struggled and it's like, wow, this is not what marriage is supposed to be like. This is not what a relationship's portrayed to be, you know, um, of miscommunication and, and of, of struggle. It's like, this, you know, this, isn't, this isn't good. Um, and bit by bit, you know, God changed things and we did things in response to him and we got to that moment. I remember at one point reflecting back and thinking and getting that revelation of what God had done in terms of putting a foundation in place um, in terms of how my wife and I communicate and how we understand each other. And I thought I wouldn't have had it any other way. And it, you know, it was a tough, it was a tough 18 months. I wouldn't have had it any other way. I wouldn't have wanted that to be different. I wouldn't want to have the, you know, the social media, you know, picture perfect um, kind of 18 months of, of marriage. Like, yeah, it was tough, but man, it was good. It was, what came out of it was, was better, than, better than I could have imagined. And I think that's the thing about God's goodness is that it's better than we could imagine. You know, it's not just that it works out well, you know, in a, in a stereotypical way. He's doing something that's significantly deeper, that's significantly more exciting. And my belief is that we can all have that testimony, that we can all look back on what God has done and be able to say, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And I'm aware that that's a crazy claim because I'm not naive. I know how hard things can be. I know how difficult it is to go through life sometime. But I believe we can claim it because I believe that God's goodness, God's love, is greater, is better than that. And so, yeah, just right at the end, I think there's that final encouragement, is to take hold of David's exhortation, which is the answer, uh, the, the following verse in Psalm 27. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. I have to have all three pages on the stand at once because I've made so many notes off yesterday's version. You should see this. Um, that I don't actually know which paragraph I'm doing when. <laughs> I love the subject of love because it's so, it's so massive. It's so important. It's so the foundation of everything that we are and everything that we do as Christians and as people. And I want to love well and I want to do it well, and I want to love people well, and I want to love God well. And so in looking at this subject of love, ready to talk to you for 10 minutes about it, I've had to pin it down to like one thing to share, one revelation that I've had on love, because otherwise we could be here for like a month. So, and I haven't got enough water to maintain that kind of talking. So, um, so there's one thing that I want to look at about love today, and that's that we've been given by God, the capacity to love well and permission to love well. And that it isn't about we should love one another because religion says we should and we ought and we have to do this and we have to do that to tick all the boxes and be acceptable to God. But it's nothing to do with shoulds and oughts. It's all about permission and capacity to do that. 
And so I guess one of the most famous passages about love is 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I will reference it a little bit because it's just got such good stuff in it. Um, the last two verses of that from the Passion Translation say this, and I just love this so much. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. Until then, these are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love, yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. And I just, th I think that's amazing. If nothing else, remember that love is a beautiful prize for which we're running. And you know, the thing about running a race is that normally we're in competition with one another, but this is the kind of running and this is the kind of race where we're running together and we're running for one another and we're running with one another and we're going to get the prize together. And through mistakes and through challenges and through relational ups and downs, if we're in this together, we're in this together and we're going to get to that beautiful prize at the end of the race. So one of my big questions that I ask about pretty much everything these days when it comes to Christian theory and things that we've heard about and talked about for years and years is what does that actually look like? What does it look like in my life? What does it look like in your life? What does it look like for us as a family where we don't really all know one another on an intimate level, but we know some, and how does that work, and what does it really look like? So now I'm going to page three. <laughs> I grew up in a church, just a religious Christian church, where we did communion once a week, and whenever we got to the communion part, it all got really serious, and it all got really heavy, and it all got really religious. And it was a case of, like, you know God can see right inside. God can see all the bits that are inside you. And it was almost threatening. It was really frightening, like, oh no, God can see all the things that I hide away in here. And what if I'm not worthy to take communion? And just shame and fear and unworthiness was just all, about, all surrounded communion for me for so long. Until one day, God said, yeah, I can see everything that's inside you. I can see the gifts that you haven't found yet. I can see the revelation that you're going to grow in. I can see the purposes of God in you that you're going to walk in and unravel and unpick and unveil as time goes by. And that just switched everything around for me that the love of God is not a threatening thing and it's not a scary thing. The love of God is something that brings um, permission and power and release and freedom to your heart and to your life for everything that he's got ahead for you. And the way that links for me in how we do love with each other is God sees the gold in me. He, he knows the stuff that is, that is um, sinful or shameful, but all of that, you know, has been covered. It's all been crucified to the cross. We died with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life I'm living now is one of permission and freedom. So all of that stuff that's hidden away in here that I think of as, as things to keep me disconnected from God, they hold no power over me anymore. And they hold no power over you anymore because God sees the gold in you. And that's how we love one another. We look for the gold in each other. We look for those things in each other that we can champion, that we can encourage, that we can call out and see each other walking in freedom. I don't think I said any of that last night. <laughs> so, yeah, the thing about um, 
one of the great things about God is that when he gives us a command to do something, because loving one another is a command several times, love one another, love one another, so that the world will know that we're his disciples, which that's just crazy. If I love you, them, them out there are going to know that God is God. So that doesn't make any sense yet. Can you hear my mouth going funny? Sticky mouth. Thanks, James. Um, yeah, when we love each other well, when we love each other well, the world will know that we're his disciples. So it's actually not selfish or insular for us to love one another. When we do family together well, the world are going to know that we're his disciples. So evangelism, absolutely great. Let's do that. But let's love each other well. Let's do that first. So when God tells us to do that, he gives us the power to do it. God never asks us to do anything that he doesn't give us the tools to do it. Otherwise, he's just a cruel, cruel God commanding us to do this and the other and, and not giving us the wherewithal to do it. So I'm going to read the, um, the like bullet points from the 1 Corinthians 13 thing. And just remember that this is not a list of requirements and demands on us, but it's a list of all the different ways that we can express love to one another, that we have the power to express to one another because God's love is in us. God has poured his love on us and that's what gives us the power to love other people. We're connected to heaven we're filled with the fullness of heaven, and that's why we can express that to one another. So it's not actually based on you anyway. So it's all good. Love never stops loving. It doesn't have a disclaimer attached to it that I'll love you until you do this or unless you do that. It never stops loving. It is large and incredibly patient. It is gentle and consistently kind to all. That's a challenge for me, that one, that one. I need to just continually remember. There's a bit in the Bible that challenges me every time, and that's let your gentleness be evident to all. And I'm like, okay, God, let your gentleness be evident to all. So that's a challenging one for me, to be consistently kind to everybody all the time. It refuses to be jealous when someone else gets a blessing. It doesn't brag about itself. It doesn't partner with shame or fear. It's not quick to take offense. It is joyful, celebrates honesty, and doesn't take delight in what is wrong. It never stops believing the best for others. It never gives up, and it never fails. You have that power inside of you. The only failure is for us to stop going after love. That's the only failure. There are no other mistakes or failures if we continue to go after love with each other. And there's another scripture that, for me, just solidifies the, the, the idea that we actually have all that it takes to do this. And that's Colossians 2 verse 9. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You are complete in him. And if that's not enough, what about Galatians 5.22 with the fruits of the Spirit? So every one of us who's been born again, filled with the Spirit of God, we already contain all of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. It's such a familiar scripture, the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, that I think we can forget actually how significant it is and what it really means. And what does the word fruit actually mean for our lives? It means the result of. It means the consequences to. 
It means an outcome, an outworking, an outflowing, something that can be seen, something that can be tasted. So if I've been filled with all the fullness of God and you've been filled with all the fullness of God, then the consequence of that is that you're already filled with love. You're already filled with joy. If you're going through a tough situation, you have the capacity for joy inside of you that you just have to pull on and have faith that you have it already in you. It's never that you should. It's always that you can. You have the power. You have permission from heaven. It's not just, okay, yeah, go and give it a go, guys. It's like God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit all up there going, come on, you've got this. You've got everything inside you that you need to love one another. And we will make mistakes with each other. I've got a couple of relationships going on right now where I've caused hurt and they've caused hurt. And it's very easy in those moments to want to run away and hide behind a wall, brick up your heart and say, nobody's ever getting in there again. Those little vows that we do, I'm never going to let anybody in again. And they're all just based on insecurity and fear. And one of those points in 1 Corinthians 13, it does love, does not partner with shame or fear. It doesn't partner with shame or fear. What does it partner with? It partners with reconciliation. It partners with going after something. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So it is a pursuit. It's something that doesn't, isn't always easy. It's not always fluffy love hearts. Sometimes it's jolly hard work. And yet we pursue because we've got the capacity and the power to do that. So remember the difference between should and can. There's no freedom in should. There's no abundance in should. There's no power in should. There's no joy in should. There is freedom and abundance and power in can. There's permission in can. So just to finish, let me read that little bit of scripture again. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day we will see face to face. But until then... Until then, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run.